Mulkey Adventure. Mulkey. Do not answer the phone if that calls. <laughs> Holy shit. Alright, welcome back to another Cold Fear Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Mulkey. It's been a little while and uh, finally got a chance to kind of sit down uh, with some of my friends. Uh, they've been on the podcast a couple of times with Dan Bastian and Christian Baumeister. And uh, just kind of had a, kind of a general conversation. Uh, it's been a while since we all sat down here and um, kind of talking about last season, talking about this season, talking about like kind of what's going on right now. I kind of get in briefly to kind of some changes in my life. Uh, I'm going to get into that in another podcast. Um, but yeah, you know, this is if you if you're tuning in for to hear some really cool uh, ice climbing stories on this one, you're not going to get that. You're going to get some really good uh, grizzly stories. Um, and you know, if you're thinking about coming to Cody and climbing ice early in the season, you better start thinking about grizzlies because they're definitely around. Um, but yeah, this is just really a, a fun conversation. And really, the Cold Fear podcast is, you know, me just talking to people and having having good conversations. And sometimes those are stories with really great people. And sometimes they're just sitting down with my friends having a conversation. So I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, We do get into hunting. So if you're a big, you know, anti-hunter person, um, I totally respect that. Uh, We do, we we don't talk anything gory or anything like that. Um, In fact, we actually talk a little bit about, you know, the regulations and the winter kill that was really devastating in Utah and Southern Wyoming. Um, so there's nothing talking about shooting things or anything like that. Um, but just a heads up. So, uh, and I, I do think it's informative, you know, I mean, I think it's really important, uh, you know, even political, always listen, listening to the other side and, you know, hearing their point of view and their perspective. Uh, I think it's always good. You know, if we always listen to what we want to hear, you're never going to learn. So, all right, here you go. Enjoy this uh, podcast. Whoa, hey there, there. I forgot one thing, one thing. Wyoming Ice Festival, January 4th through the 7th, 2024. Registration is open. It is going to be a damn good time. Got some really great speakers on tap. I'm going to announce those here pretty soon. And clinics, uh, clinics are going to go live October 15th. So uh, be tuned in for that, but uh, registration's already looking really good, so I think this is going to be a fantastic second annual Wyoming Ice Festival. Don't miss it. I mean, come on. Highest concentration of ice in North America, right here in the South Fork Valley, in my backyard. Come and check it out. See for yourself what it's all about. It is an amazing place. Get in there, register, sign up for a clinic, or just come and enjoy the show. Nice. I'm going to give your listeners... A $1 billion business idea. Here it is. <laughs> oh, here we go. If anybody can invent this, potable antifreeze. Po- wait, what? Potable antifreeze. Potable. Potable. Is that the, high, is that the way you say it? I was like, potable? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like, potable. You want portable? Because it is. We already have portable antifreeze. <laughs> potable antifreeze. Potable antifreeze. Yeah. I don't think that's... I mean... Do you think about it? Like on, on all these, you wouldn't have to melt water as often. You could you could melt a bunch of snow, dump some of your potable antifreeze in it, and come back to the tent at the end of the day, and boom, your liquid's still liquid. It's yeah. not a solid. So something you could put into the water that would keep it from freezing. 100%. Hmm. It's, but, a good, it's a good idea. I don't know where, I mean, I don't know that I want to ingest whatever it is that keeps it from freezing, but hey. Well, that's why I said potable. Yes, potable. Uh... 
So it's been a little while since we've uh, all sat down together. In fact, it's probably been a year since we've all been in this room. We are missing uh, Mr. Chris Squire. Yep. Um, he's going to be pissed when I post this. Or uh, relieved. Both. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah, both probably. Yeah, yeah. probably both. But uh, a lot has happened in the last year since we were all sitting here. We got, we're got we kind of doing a, a first go on the new podcast studio. Um had some technical difficulties there for a little bit. We got to figure out some of the mics a little bit better too, but we're we're getting going again. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think, I mean, I can kind of start with you know basically for me, um, started the year, um, left my job. Uh, both Christian and I have both left abusive relationships with our employers. Uh, and the past, uh, well, you were most rec- more recently than me. Um, but uh, finally, after I think I've been in a corporate world since, let's see, I took a break in 2000. I went back to corporate world in 2008. Yeah, 2008. Worked for that same company. And um, yeah, left for the first of the year. And now just doing the athlete kind of whatever comes my way, fun stuff. Uh, it's been pretty cool to not have to be on six hours of conference calls a day and 300 plus emails a day, managing 1500 people and all that fun stuff. So it's been really exciting to uh, step away from that and just pursue the things that I love to do. Um, I thought I'd have a lot more time on my hands, but it feels like I've, I don't know how I ever worked a full-time job and did what I did. So that still kind of blows my mind. Um, and I think Kelly's like, my wife is kind of like, what are you doing today? Like she asks, is almost like, I don't have anything to do. You know, I'm like, well, I got plenty to do. It's the best um, way to get you riled up is to ask that question. It does, though. I know it does kind of get me riled up. So, cause I was so busy for so much of my life. You oh, know? Yeah. I mean, days went by real fast. Um, Especially in working three time zones, four time zones. You yeah. Know? Like those days were really long. Yeah. Yeah, so I think like for people that maybe follow in on social media and they're like, man, Aaron's got this super great life. He's always playing. Well, I didn't always play. So I definitely had a very much of a corporate job. Um, and I think I'll maybe go into that a little bit more in another podcast. But uh, had a pretty good season, a lot of festivals and things like that. Um, definitely didn't accomplish a lot of things that I wanted to. Um, but uh, I don't know. What was what was your guys' winter like? Did you feel like you accomplished what you wanted i mean you had a a bit of a bump in the road christian yeah you know the three most stressful things you can ever do is uh career change have a kid and do a house renovation and i decided to do all three at the same time Um, (laughs) i never thought about that until now you 100 percent did that (laughs) yeah in hindsight you know i might have done things a little differently but it was really good to you know i learned a lot over the past three years working in that other industry um and it's it's been for the better to to leave that and go back to the outdoor industry, which I absolutely love. And it's what I'm passionate about. And, you know, working somewhere right now with some just really awesome people and working on my next move there, which has been really exciting, stressful and exciting all at the same time. Yeah. What Um, is your plan? So, I mean, you, you for people don't know, I mean, Christian used to work for the, I hired Christian actually, he didn't report to me directly, but, um, you were in the corporate world of the medical industry for quite some time. And now you've left, um, and so you want to go back in the outdoor industry. Yep. What's your, so what's the goal there? Yeah. So I was, I worked in the outdoor industry for eight years 
previous to going to healthcare, did that for three years um, in 2020, went over to that and then left and wanting to come back to the outdoor industry, really trying to focus on sales, sales management. Um, you know, that's definitely where my heart is at and what I'm most passionate about and what I think I'm definitely the best at. Um, so yeah, right now I'm working on an outdoor store, um, as director of sales over there and which has been a really good summer. Um, it's been a really good time to get back and to make those connections with those people in the industry. And now I've been applying for a bunch of different roles. I've been in a leadership program for the past four or five months now, the futures program, which has been really good. Uh, I've learned a lot through that and yeah, I actually have an interview on Friday, which I'm really excited about with the company. So we shall see what comes of that. Nice. And you have a, uh, uh, you've added to your household. Yep. Had a, had a little girl, um, back in June. Uh, her name's Juno and definitely rocked our world because my wife and I have been married for 10 years and kids were not on the plan. Definitely. wasn't in the equation and things happen. And next thing you know, you're being a dad and building a crib and expanding into a bed and then going and doing a podcast at your friend's house. So that's why I was late. And did you understand how kids are made, right? I just want to make sure you understand. Oh, I'm well aware. Yeah. Well aware. Yeah. yeah. Do, sure. I wasn't homeschooled. It was funny. It was like a week after the three of us, plus maybe Chris, had a conversation about a vasectomy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got I got mine on. Mine's scheduled. Like, mine's booked, ready to rock. Let's go. And Christian's like, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta, I gotta call him, too, and I got to get that done. Five days, six days after that conversation i'm sitting <laughs> on my couch oh yeah i'm sitting on my couch one evening and christian just texts me a picture of a uh what do you call it oh the sonogram yeah sonogram yeah uh text a picture of the sonogram and i look at it for a second and i literally said to you i'm like bro is that yours <laughs> <laughs> and you're like yep yep yeah we are in it yeah and it was crazy because megan my wife, she didn't even know she was pregnant until 10 weeks in, right? And I mean, she was out there doing sensory rides, like staying super active, super fit. Yeah, I mean, she still definitely is. And yeah, to have that kind of come into our world, definitely rocked it for sure. And But, you know, now we're on the other side of it and she's awesome. Juno's amazing. She's incredibly smart and cute. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. And you still haven't gotten a vasectomy. Okay. So in my defense... <laughs> No, there is no defense. Your defense sucks. I called them, and apparently the doctor's retiring and could not fit me in. And I've now been referred to somebody else. What happened between the the time that you could have called until up until two weeks ago or whatever it was? Like, yeah, excuses. Those are all excuses. Yeah, that's just what. Even after I was like, okay, Dan got it done. Like for sure, Christian will now make that phone call. But you procrastinated. I know. I still need to do it. Now you got to go out of town to get it done. No, there's one guy in town. Oh, well, good luck. There's one that. guy. So good luck. Do that, otherwise we're going to Billings. That's, that's gonna be a long drive thing. home. It's a very simple thing. It's good to do. Yeah, much better for your wife. So it's better for everybody. It is better. for Everybody, everybody. wins. You're in. You're out. You walk funny for three days. That's the end of it. <laughs> See, I didn't have anything. I, mine was like I could have gone. I think I wanted to go running the next day, and it's like no, no. And there, there's this overbearing dread of like. Like, I could have gone to the gym or went for a jog two days out. Like, day one, definitely not. Like, I wouldn't have done it. But even even a day two or day three where I felt as though, okay, yeah, this is, yeah, this is fine. There's this dread, at least, that I had that's like, oh, my gosh, I, if I pop a suture, I'm going to have to go do this whole thing over again, but it'll be worse. 
So I, you know, the fear of that happening was enough to keep me on my ass for the next two weeks. <laughs> well, that's why you get tested, right? So yeah, yeah. which is, I mean, if we're going to come full circle on this conversation, that's the most awkward part is the actual testing. Do we want to go full circle? I mean, let's go full circle. Right, we're already right. into the vasectomy conversation. So like, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it doesn't get any weirder than handing somebody, you know, your sperm in a cup. Right. Immediately. Like, so, so the whole thing is on the paper, it says on the paper, it says there's all these ways that you may not use to procure your sample. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. This is the only way that you can create this batch for them. And that's bad enough. That's bad enough. But then the paper also said that there has to be a large enough quantity. So not only do you have to perform in less than adequate surroundings or, or or techniques, but now it has to be a pretty good representation of what you're capable of, right? So it's and then it gets worse yet. Because you have to have it at the laboratory fifteen ten to I think it's fifteen yeah ten or fifteen ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah. After you produce your sample. Yeah. So you go in there, like right after doing your thing, and there's two chicks sitting at the counter and you kind of walk up and you're like, oh, I have a, I have a semen post, a post, post vas semen sample, and they're like, a what? And you're like, a, a post vasectomy yeah. semen sample, and they're like, oh, okay, is it fresh? And and then basically you're like, yeah, actually, I just got done cranking my meat ten minutes ago, and here I am. Yeah. Like, do you wanna, you want me to say it any louder, or what is it that you need from me at this point? Because my, I'm I'm done. Here it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, and there's like and no lubricants is one of the no rules, lubricants, so it's it's a little dry. Can't get it out of a condom. Yep, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I remember, yeah, this is way too much information, but I remember having to get within the ten minutes because let's just say I I live thirty, I live probably twenty five minutes away, um, but I think that might have been the most embarrassing thing I think I've I've done is walking into the hospital and then handing that, and it, she did the same thing to me. She's like, this is what? And like said it really loud. And oh, it's yeah. a really tiny little and She room knew damn well. Waiting. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, yeah, this is uh, a semen sample. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and what do you do if you live 45 minutes from the lab? Then you, what do you do? You do it in your car and then you get busted for indecent exposure? You're... I was worried about that. Yes. It's, it's silly. But it's done. It's done. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had to do it two times. Oh, because so, you, you didn't come I through didn't, clear the first I, I time. Did not pass. <laughs> See, that's the difference. I didn't want to have to do it twice. So what I did was I waited like four months post op. They want you to wait fifteen days. I waited four months post op to get oh, to wow. get checked to make sure I was clear. Yeah, I, I was six weeks, six seven weeks or something. Yeah, in fact, I mean, it, it may have been three times. I don't know. It was incredible. I think it was so. It was a very embarrassing point to do that, and so I think I may have just like wiped it out of my memory, but. I did have to do it. I know for sure two times. There may have been a third time. <laughs> yeah, that was so a lot. I have that to look like, forward to. Like when you she do. recognizes you when you come to, it's that's not good. You know. <laughs> like, oh, it's you again. You got another sample? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <you're> just, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. So full circle. But full that, circle. so two people out of the three in the room are now fully mm-hmm. cut. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So. And it's funny cu- that the two guys that didn't have, you know, the one guy that had the accident is not the guy that's cut. So, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Life is crazy. Life is ever changing. Some uh, people learn harder than others. Yes, that's yes. true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So Dan, what was uh how was your what what did you take I don't I'm trying to think what we got done last season. It was a little slower for us. It was a little bit slower. Um man, it almost seemed like at the tail end ice season we were down in Utah. We did do Oh some, yeah. Oh yeah, because we went to Lake Powell for for that recon for the IMAX shoot, um, which was really cold. And then we went, God, we should have done a podcast after the freaking slot canyon. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Those were some good. Yeah. Oh, man. Especially like Christian. Yeah, the swim. <laughs> the that swim. was bad. I mean, we could talk about it, but man, that was cold. I mean, we could, I think it's a great one because we, uh, do you remember what slot canyon it was? Um, shenanigans? Shenanigans. It was shenanigans. Yeah. yeah, we're in shenanigans. It was snow on the ground in, in the bottom of that canyon when we started in the morning, so it was pretty cold. Yeah, standing water in some places. Yeah, well, we tried Freezing to stay out of it for a while, and then you guys yeah. gave up. But I did not give up. Yeah, and the and the thing about shenanigans is the description is if you can't make it through the first two tight sections, don't go in the third because you can't get out. Right? They were like bail. Yeah. After the first two, if the <laughs> yeah. first two jacked you up, bail. And they were hilarious because they were they were tight in the first two. You're like, oh yeah, like it. You know, my chest and my back are touching walls the whole time, and you're shimmying along, and you're like, "How can this get any tighter?" And I remember when we got to the third, and Dan, you were like, "I'm out of here. No way. Not going in. Yeah, not doing it. Yeah." But you did it. I did. Yeah, you did it. And you know, like mentally, so the last one was definitely the tightest. Like if it was just strictly taking width measurement, the last one was the yeah. tightest. But I think the second one in shenanigans was a little headier because, at least for me. Because it listed, it tilted to one side. So you did all of the second section, which was longer than the third section. But the second section, you were almost like reclined. And the whole mountain felt like it was leaning on your chest. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't even turn your head with your helmet on. Like you could not, you're looking one way. And you had to, in the third section, you had to let breathe all the way out, you know, let your chest yep. go down and then you'd move mm-hmm. and then you'd stop, take a breath and yeah. then you'd repeat that. And we were looking back at Dan and he was like trying, like, mm-hmm. well, one, you were trying to like keep your breath, keep your, uh, from hyperventilating maybe a little bit, <laughs> but I remember you're like, and then you'd move a little bit and he'd come back and yeah, it was tight. There was no turn in your head. I, I, that was definitely the tightest slot canyon I've been in for sure. And it was Absolutely. dark. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it like, was. We had headlamps on. I can't. I, you know, part of me thinks like doing that thing in the summertime when it was hot. Like, what if there's a freaking snake in the bottom of that thing? Yeah, and you oh, know, if you talk yeah, to the guys yeah. that do them in late spring and summer, there's freaking rattlesnakes all over those things. Really? Yeah, that would suck. Oh yeah. I mean, you're not going anywhere fast. No. no. I mean, no. you're not going. And it, as dark as it was, you're not even going to see what's at your feet, anyways. Right. Like, yeah. I guess hopefully that that rattlesnake's actually making noise. And it's not some tiny one or something. Yeah, scorpions or whatever else is uh, down there. Yeah. Well, for anybody that's considering shenanigans, right? I did the first one with my jacket on. My second one, I dropped the jacket and had a hoodie on. And the third one, <laughs> I was down to the t-shirt. Um, obviously, take clothing that you don't care about because you will rub it threadbare. But second of all, for like shenanigans, for the third section of shenanigans, I am, I don't know, 5'11". And at the time, I was 178 pounds, maybe. If you're over 180 pounds at 5'11", forget the yeah, third Forget yeah. the third section. Because, it's going to be miserable. Yeah. It, you, you may get through at 190 pounds in 5'11", but it's going to suck. Yeah. 
Because I think I, I'm 5'9 and 165, and that was, I mean, I had to suck it in in order to move through those last sections for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're in the 180 zone, you're that's a no-go. Unless you're like 6'3. Yeah. The, the height's not the problem. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's chest measurement, I think, is the, is the sticking point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was it's super cool. rad. Yeah. yeah. There's some big wraps in there too, especially yeah. at the end. Especially at the end where somebody, like, so at the end is this rappel down into this pool of water. And it, it was what, four, it was like 40s, something like that, that yeah. day, 45. And so you kind of wrap down into this pool of water and. And you're wrapping I, through a, a tight slot super at the tight same little time. Slot. Yeah. And I remember reading that there was a little ledge just under the water. So that's kind of what I went for, and it's super slick. I mean, it's algae and everything on there, you know, um, and you can't see the bottom because I think it had been raining quite a bit down there. Yeah. And uh, I was able to kind of sneak across that ledge, which is it's probably like 15 feet across and around that thing, and then you can jump onto the sand. And then you came. and Yeah, I wrapped down, and there's water coming down the rope too. So, like, there, it's cold the whole time and came into the pool and you have to take a rope off, right? Because you have to go all the way across. And I found the ledges to get started. And Aaron's on the other side trying to coach me through it. Dan's still up top. And I found the ledges. And, you know, I was trying to get to the next footstep. And my back foot slipped. And then my front foot slipped. And I just went down. And I did not feel the bottom of that pool. And it's a small pool. Like, I don't know, like the size of this room. It's not huge, but it was deep, and I did not feel the bottom. And, you know, I went all the way up to my mouth and swam out, and I was soaked. And it was so cold. And I just stripped down all the way down my underwear, threw it all on the sun, threw on the puffy jacket. And, yeah, it was. It took a while to warm up. I mean, I hiked out we because the scramble out was, I mean, like fifth-class scramble. And I just climbed and my underwear and a down jacket the whole way out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Thankfully it was up. Yeah. To get you warmed up. Yeah. But you got, you were little, you were, you were totally soaked. Oh yeah. Well, the thought of hypothermia was very present and very real. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was plenty cold. So yeah. And goose is coming down to visit us here. So I think, I think the other thing is kind of cool about those canyons are not cool, but it's, it's interesting. Um, and I had been warned about this by Landon Michaels, a buddy of mine that used to do a lot of slot canyons when he lived in Utah, um, has some, uh, first ascents on a few of them. But anyway, he was telling me that, uh, he was telling me, take gear you don't, you don't like, not just clothes, but like ropes, um, hardware, take that stuff that you don't care about messing up. Um, cause if you, I don't know if you guys noticed, but if you looked at the beaners that, what did we do? Two, oh, three man. canyons? Oh Yeah. There's like, you could maybe do on the big beaners that we're wrapping off of on your, on your belay device, you might be able to get eight to 10 canyons out of a full size locking beaner before you've worn through it completely because of the rope getting covered in sand. Yeah. We should have gotten some of those steel carabiners Yeah, with the the steel plate in there. That would be the the way to go next time. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely took a toll on some of that gear for sure. We also had one of the the spiciest wraps that we've had in a while with uh, some meat anchors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was yeah, yeah. super Who'd, fun too. Cuz Dan went off of you and I. It yeah. was good to be the fat kid that day. So, <laughs> we go into the section of a that wasn't shenanigans, was it? That was another. No, I don't. That was Well, one, maybe it was shenanigans. I think I, it might have been. I don't remember. Did we do No, Chris did shenanigans with us, right? No. No. Cuz this is the first time we went down without Chris. 
and then the second time we went down for yeah i think you're right i think um, we did i think it was shenanigans that that repel was on yeah so you, we Could get to wrong. the section where you have to wrap down and it's either you do the what was it the death crawl yeah the death crawl and it's this sloping ledge that's probably 20 feet and it's overhung like if you fall you're you're toast you're like 40 50 feet down and it's super sandy really cold and it's got a roof over it too so you're on your belly just crawling across or you do a meat anchor which is you know you and your buddy clip into it and you put the rope through your buddy and then you wrap off of him as he's your anchor and we opted to go that route and so yeah dan went first and aaron and i had laid down and had you on belay the whole time and you wrapped down and then the second time our on the second wrap i went off of me off yep. of aaron i don't which, know why i was the unlucky one but yeah we won't uh, yeah risk well, tolerance think, we had a whole podcast on that i think aaron did we oh yeah, yeah because one of that yeah because <laughs> what, that situation but yes because of what you had to go off of was definitely spicy and you did not want to yeah that was gross you had to keep that yeah. thing tight yeah so after i came down you know aaron's up there by himself and there's no bolts in this canyon did apparently canyoneering people do well, not believe in bolts or fixed anchors it's a, any i think sort. it was a specific thing to the north wash that there like is like a no bolt ethic that's there yeah 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 so after i went down we beforehand we found a, a small horn where you could see some rope marks going across it and we decided that yeah that would probably be the best bet for aaron to go down because otherwise you do the death crawl and then you have to stem down that 40 50 feet right which is still sketchy in and of itself yeah if i had i think if i'd had better shoes like climbing shoes or just like sticky rubber i would have been a lot more okay mm-hmm. but yeah well i was just doing that crawl just the crawl because if you screwed up that crawl and you slipped you're you're donezo yeah I mean, you're not dead maybe dead but you're definitely not walking out of there and getting out of which there that dumb. in and of itself would be a monumental effort you'd have search and rescue i don't even know how they get somebody They'd out probably of that have the helicopter like long line somebody in i would think but then even so you'd still have to move the injured person oh, yeah. maybe yeah. a quarter mile through this friggin' slot canyon to get them to where a helo could pull them out yeah and that horn you wrapped off of when we say like a horn it was Something not like a, a confidence like inspiring yeah it was yeah. it was a, it was a yeah yeah, yeah. It wasn't much and if you took your and you had to keep the tension on it constantly and if you took it off a little bit it, it could easily slip off yeah easily yeah. slip off so let's for a second talk about i've heard it referred to as ghosting a canyon that's what they call this this no bolt ethic is oh. ghosting a canyon and I, again, I'll bring up Landon because he's done a lot of it, and he's told me, you know, what's what's the mindset behind that? And it is to keep kind of that North Wash area and a couple other areas in Utah, you know, pristine. Keep it as pure as you can. Don't put anchors in because some those anchors aren't super trustworthy in that sandstone when it gets wet anyway. Yeah. So you know the 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 dead man anchors and those little horns and stuff. But my question is is twofold. So okay, you don't put bolts in. I understand the ethic, but then what you have is you get rope marks on all the rock from people slinging these tiny little horns. Now you got rope marks on stuff. Is that better than a bolt? And then the other question is what, I mean, of course, you know, as, as the canyoneer, you should, you should be well-educated enough to know what you're getting into. Take somebody that's, that's good enough to pull this off, but inevitably somebody, sometimes some kids or whoever is going to get way out of their depth and they're going to end up dead in the bottom of one of these canyons and then you're going to risk you're going to risk the lives of and spend tens of thousands of dollars on on a retrieval effort 
So in, in my mind, like I see both sides of the coin there. Like I understand the, the reason for ghosting it, but at some point there's, there's a law of diminishing returns. If somebody really gets hurt or the sandstone's getting worn away from people slinging horns. Yeah, I think the, the rope marks is a pretty real subject. Because there were some that we did. I mean, we we ended up making two trips down there and doing salt canyons and stuff. And there were some of those places that I mean, the rope marks are pretty pretty bad. And yes, if there was a bolted anchor and a and a in a spot, you could almost eliminate those rope marks with a bolted anchor. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, be be interesting to talk to a canyoneer person somewhere really like a local that lives down there to kind of understand the the ethic behind it and the thoughts behind that. I mean, I get, I understand like not putting bolts in, but like you said, there's, there is a, a diminishing return on that at some point. Um, and I mean, some of that stuff too, I mean, oh, some of that stuff's just luck, you know, that you're not going to screw something up or you're not going to fall or whatever it might be. Um, I, I wonder how many, I kind of wonder how many, how many actual search and rescue situations I get into down there. I don't know, but the the only other thing that I could see, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Utah canyoneering. It is it is badass. It is a ton of fun, and the people that do it in an exploratory manner are hard asses. There's no, I don't want to take anything away from it, but one thing that they could do to improve it. So when you let's talk about North Wash, just for instance, on this whole slope going down towards the road, there you've got I don't know a row of half a dozen canyons that all flow the same way, and some of them are pretty doggone close to each other. Within a couple hundred yards, five, 500 to 800 yep. yards apart, are the mouths of these slot canyons. And you really, really need to have a little bit of land nav experience because if you drop in the wrong canyon and oh, you, yeah. you either the people don't have the experience for that canyon, thinking it's another canyon, or they don't have the gear that they need, they have the gear they thought they needed for canyon A, and they accidentally drop into canyon B you could get your ass in a world hurt because once you're in, you're in Yeah, most of them. Yeah. It is hard to so, get out of those. Yeah. Like, and a lot of, even those top Canyon, e- even all those canyons, even though they were, they weren't bolted, there was an anchor off of a tree. I think to get into shenanigans, there was a tree oh. that yeah. was, or yeah. that was, um, that was used for your rap. What they could do is they could, and, and maybe this is stupid, but it would be good. I think to avoid all those, horrible scenarios that potential scenarios is put a sign on a rock or pounded into the ground at the top of that canyon saying hey this is shenanigans um i'm trying to think of the name of the one that landon told me stay the hell away from sandthrax he's like i watched the video on that that was terrifying he he was like don't go anywhere near that freaking thing i think that there's probably two things there i think one is kind of like you probably also keep a lot of people away because you're not signing things and dumbing yeah. it down a little bit. So probably just that unknown for a lot of people is probably going to be like, oh, I don't know if this is the one. I don't know if I want to commit to dropping in. So you probably eliminate a lot of that. Whereas if you did maybe have signs, then maybe people feel... Because I think sometimes when people see signs like that, they have a false sense of security. Mm. And so it's like, oh, there's a sign here. Like then, you know, I'll be able to, somebody can also come and get me or whatever. Like I think... Seeing signage creates a false sense of security, in my opinion. Um, and then I, I, do, I do think, like, it's just like on trad climbing. Like, there's trad climbs that are really sketchy and scary. 
And so do you add a bolt to those? No, I mean, and I, and I, I would imagine, I'd imagine the first ascent team, first descent team at a canyon probably is the one that gets to choose, you know, what that ethic's going to be for that canyon. So do they want to put bolts in or do they take a bolt gun with them? Or do they, if they're able to get down, you know, without any issues, then do they leave it? I mean, I, that could be some of that North Wash stuff that the guys that put it in wanted to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there are some places, I mean, I don't know, I wonder, like, shenanigans, like, with that, that, uh, yeah, that where you had to do the body anchor, mm-hmm. and then I had to go off of that thing. I wonder how many actual descents that thing gets. But, I mean, I think if you brought rock shoes for that traverse at the end, that wouldn't be so bad, I don't think. Um, I didn't do the down climb, but, I mean, the down climb didn't look insignificant either. So, it's interesting, though. I mean, I, I would be, I'd like to know more about it, and, like, because you go to Moab, there's bolts everywhere. There's glue ends everywhere. Yeah, and same in like Zion, from what I've been told. Yeah. So it's definitely a little different ethic that's in some of these other places. And, so. you know, talking to talking to somebody that's that's done everything in North Wash multiple times and worse, I, I think that was kind of his his approach to it, was that like, if you want to climb on bolts, go to Zion. Or if go to yeah. Escalante, or go, go wherever. But North Wash is not bolted for people that don't want to climb, don't want to yeah. go down on bolts. So, hey, that's cool. I get it. It's just sometimes you think about like, you know, what the thing was the that idea? would make me weigh that is the whole rope mark stuff. Like that's the only one that would make me kind of like, I don't know, man. We put bolted anchors in, then you know, we're not going to have these rope marks that are all over the place on here, and some of them are pretty rough. But. I mean, there wasn't a ton of those, but most of the, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I could see it both ways. Yeah, where they existed, they're undeniable. Oh, they're yeah. enough to catch a rope. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they weren't everywhere. They were certainly various places, but it was it was super cool. Well, uh, you also wrap off a lot of anchors that are just freaking one-inch webbing coming out of the sand. Right, yeah. dead man. <laughs> You're hoping that there's a rock, a giant boulder that's slung around it. And you yeah. usually, from what I'm told, it's just like a feed bag stuffed full of sand with oh, a rope really? going around it and then more sand piled on top of it that's it that's it oh yeah i wish i would have known that well you didn't at the time yeah i didn't know at I the did, time but you didn't no i don't think it landed on that because i mean he's done a bunch of that stuff he was super into it at one point yeah so. you should have him in here for like a dedicated yeah. canyoneering podcast dude yeah. he's a wealth of knowledge in this stuff that he's done like these x-rated canyons like that you can't protect no matter like so Let's say you're high stemming. Let's say, you know, we did some stemming, right? And you're 30 feet off the deck stemming. If you fall, you you land in sand and water and whatever. But he'll do, like he tells me about these trips that he's done where he's high stemming. They don't know where the bottom is. They don't have a freaking clue. It could be 300 feet. And and it's okay because it's a good stemming distance and you can get your toes and your knees and your butt and your hands into it. But then what happens is you get to what's called a silo. And that stemming crack that you were in now it turns into a 12-foot void. Uh-huh. Like just, like you can't, it's, you can't stem it. Or if you do, you're like literally spread, you're horizontal in that. Tiptoes, fingernails. Yeah. You, you, the whole, so you, you just got to have him on. He can explain it a lot better than How I can. get around that? I don't know, dude. Giant balls and small brains. Like, <laughs> and he said that, he said that like some of the canyons, uh, like, Depending on the year, especially the bottom one quarter or whatever, like you can get out based on like if you have to crawl through a hole, 
if the sand level is low enough, you can get under like a boulder. Oh, yeah. And if the sand that year is too high, you're going to spend hours tunneling under that boulder or whatever. Well, you're going to make, you're going to man tunnel. Like, like you don't have a choice. make a hole kind of Holy thing. Holy crap. Yeah, like, huh. you, you just have to have him on sometime. Yeah, we'll He's to. got some cool stories. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Huh. All right. That and the potholes. I'm really curious how you navigate, like, going through those and, like, building anchors to get up and over and... They yeah. have a they have a whole system for that. Yeah, there is. I remember reading on that. Yeah, it's, it's like pretty, water bags cool. that have some weird thing, and you throw the bag ahead of you, and then you have two strings on it, and this one like releases the water. I don't know. You, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, we need to go deeper on that. Yeah. Well, we had to go through that. We had to wrap into that one pothole that was bottomless. Oh yeah, we all took a swim. We all had to swim that one. Yeah, that one took me a little while to actually like commit to. That's um, good. That was freaking There's some cold. good videos of that, too. Oh, yeah. There's well, good there's, videos of everybody on that. There's good videos of you going in the water, too. So. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Oh, Not yeah. that one. Nobody's running, nobody's running for public office. There's too much blackmail no, out there. There's a lot out there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. But that was a good... We had a good good little spring in the desert. I mean... Yeah. Uh, yeah, stellar. You and I made... You and I... We made three trips. Two or three. I don't, I don't know. He, I did two. You, you did two. On the first one, the Lake Powell, and then one where Chris went down. Oh, and then I went down for... That's right. It was two, and then I... Because I went back down for uh, the IMAX thing. After. Yeah. That's right. So that was my third. Well, we did well, try to I did Escalante. Well, on the second trip was more... Oh, yeah. And I, I guess I went to... Well... I went to Zion and Escalante with Megan. Yeah. And then we met you guys in Escalante. So yeah, three trips well, for our, me. Our, our, our second trip down there was supposedly... So we came... As we were coming back, we went and checked out this... Took a little side trip and went and checked out this area and found some ice. Some massive ice. Gorgeous. A couple of, like, two beautiful ice lines and another, like, mixed line that were just ridiculous. Um, still can't believe that we saw them when they were there and all that. And so we, but we didn't. We didn't have gear. We didn't have gear. Didn't have and so we literally drove back. I think we were back for one night. And then we got in the car and, and left. As it was warming up. As it was warming up, unfortunately. And I think we literally missed that thing by 24 hours. If we'd yeah. had our gear the day we saw it, we would have been solid. We would have been good. Yep. But I think not that night, but the next night, or maybe it was that night. Yeah, that night it did not freeze. Or no, I think it did that night. It was in the next day it warmed up. And then the night we got down there, it didn't freeze overnight. And then uh, we went up We went up to it and it was, it was toast. It was mm-hmm. done. That was a real bummer because that would have been freaking rad to have knocked yeah. off a couple of first ascents down in the desert on some super rare stuff. So I don't know. I mean, the snowpack they had down there was so ridiculously good that who knows? It might never come in you for another 30, 40 years. Yeah, we may never see it in our yeah. lifetime again. But it's, dude, it didn't look like that was super snow fed, did I think it? It was a freeze thaw. So it could be just the right freeze thaw. But I, I do think that that thing's got to have a decent amount of snow in order to create the amount of ice that it had. I think it, I think it was freeze thaw. So I don't think it was spring fed or anything like that. Although I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we, None of us have been down there that time of year and gone to that area. So you, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it is there. I don't know. I don't know. And the ski lines that we found down there oh too. My God, the skiing, the great. We gotta take sleds next time too. Like yeah, we, we could spend see. weeks. We could spend a month well, down there because we did see some some of those other ice climbs on the other side. And that other ice climb that actually looked like potentially that. Would, oh, that big one. Yeah, that actually yeah. looked like it probably does come in more more often. I would think with the kind of feeder it had. Yeah, that yeah. was huge. I wonder. I wonder if those have been done. I don't know. 
Be I interesting. Know, to find out. It's one of those things you don't want to ask. Right. You don't. No. They are unclimbed. You ask after you climb them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Utah. I, there's a lot of Utah ice climbers, but there's not probably a lot of Utah ice climbers that are willing to go spend days roaming around the desert looking for ice. So, I mean, I know a few places where guys are definitely focused on it, and there's some pretty pretty rad stuff. Um, I mean, Zion's what most people know, and, and Zion is pretty amazing. Um, but it also just doesn't come in all the time. So it's all that stuff's so rare. So I think for most people, like you don't want to go spend a day or two freaking maybe sitting in the car and not climbing any ice when you could actually go somewhere and climb ice. So Or do something else cool. Or yeah, yeah. there's plenty of things to go do. Utah's got it going on as far as options. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we, we I mean the plan is to go down there. Uh so for everybody listening, we uh doing a little 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 film called Chasing Three Hundred. Um, with Winter Dance Media. He's going to be following me around all winter and the rest of the crew here. And uh, basically, it's kind of documenting the, the for me getting to 300 first ascents. So I'm pretty pretty stoked on that. Uh, I haven't really talked about it. I think I posted a couple things on social, but I really haven't talked about the film. And I'll probably wait to do that once uh, you know Nathan and we're all sitting down at a table to really get into it. But it's going to be pretty cool. Um filmed all through the winter so we've got a bunch of cool trips planned and one of them is a desert ice climbing trip um going to a place where i know there's some ice and then maybe going on a full-on search in the desert um and crossing our fingers and toes and everything and hoping we can find some ice so i'm pretty stoked on that so do you have a target climb that you're like saving in your back pocket you're like this is one's gonna be number 300 i have a couple Okay. So I have a couple that I'm kind of saving there. And so, yeah, we want we want the 300. I want the 300 to be pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have two very two specific in mind and another third that is a potential there as well. Um, it would be really cool to do, to find something rad in the desert too, but the chances of that are really slim. Um, that's something that's kind of like, I don't know, I just want the 300 to be like this pretty like notable really cool ice route doesn't have to be super hard or anything just like i want to be able to look at that thing and go yes that's that's the 300 one right there absolutely um so yeah so it's i think it's gonna be an exciting winter and and i mean this winter will be really my full, first full winter where my only focus is is climbing which is pretty freaking awesome um and uh, i feel like definitely been training pretty good all summer doing lots of running um. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm. I'm ready. I'm freaking ready to go. So you're feeling strong. Yeah, I think. I, I not. I don't know that I'm, I'm. I'm getting there. Yeah. I don't know that I feel as strong as I ever have, but I also. I don't know. I've been. I think until I can get out and actually test it, I'm probably. I'm pretty hard on myself. So I think once I go out there, then I'll be like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I'm. I'm here. I think physically wise, like conditioning wise, I don't know that I could. I don't know that I could be much better. Um, you know, did a 50 K this year and then ran a 50 miler this year. So, I mean, I think definitely got my running legs on, but at the end of the day, you know, ice climbing is all about holding on. So we've got to figure out, I'm going to hold on. How long can I hold on? That's going to be the question. So, yeah, but I mean, here we are, uh, in the studio, we got freaking dumping rain today and dumping rain tomorrow. They're eight to 14 inches of snow above 8,000 feet is what they're calling for. That's a lot. 
And, and you know, leading into this ice season, I, I've heard mixed reports of what people in the Farmer's Almanac say this winter is going to do. But as far as the, this early stuff is concerned, you know, even archery hunting in September, I saw streams where I have never seen streams yeah. out the South Fork. I think there's a lot more water in the mountains than any other year that I've paid attention to it. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's, it's been pretty pretty moist this summer and now with this rain which i think they're calling for an inch tomorrow yeah inch tomorrow half an inch today or something like this kind of moisture now is just freaking it's like filling the brim even more i mean it's still green like yeah mccullough peaks still green and it shouldn't be it's bizarre so i think i i agree i think that there's gonna be a lot of ice because there's just so much water in the ground the south fork though is one of those things like if it doesn't have the right temperatures of cold going towards like Thanksgiving, like that at the end of the day is going to be the really key. So like if this does, this isn't going to ice anything up in the South Fork, maybe up on Carter, but um, this definitely will make that ground pretty darn moist right before the cold comes. And then if we can get some mild cold, like we need the mild cold, some snow. So it doesn't just freeze hard and what you got to what you got. Yeah. Like it, I remember the year that Mean Street came back in and it had been, I think, 20 years. No, I think it was almost 25 years since it had been in. No, probably 20 years. Um, It was, we had, there was two feet of snow that dumped end of October and then it got cold. But, and there was already, we had a pretty good moist year, but I think that snow like insulated the ground. And so when the cold came in, all that water was still running, but and the snow was still feeding it, and it just wasn't freezing up yet. And then Mean Street came in. That was the longest Mean Streak's ever been in. And then I think it came in again for two years later, and it was in for like a very, very short window. Um, so, like, I, I think Mean Streak's kind of a barometer. If the sea, if it's a really good, then then that one's in. But I remember I was just saw the footage today of when I did uh, the first ascent of the Unicorn, which is to the left of Mean Streak, to the left of one hitter. And it's a two-pitch route over there, and that thing's incredible. And I haven't seen that since the first year that Mean Street came. I haven't even seen ice on that. So it'd be really interesting to see just kind of what our weather does here. But I do think even if, you know, the rare ones don't come in, I think there's still going to be some really cool stuff that comes in with the amount of moisture that's in the hills right now. Yeah. There's there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And with an inch of rain coming tomorrow, it's kind of ridiculous. I'll be curious if we actually get that kind of snow. So I, I still haven't done moratorium. You haven't? No. I haven't either. And I'd... It's because I don't take you guys that stuff. I just could be other stuff. But we should get that knocked off this year, that's for sure. Heck yeah. yeah Every yeah. picture I see of that route, it's like, damn it, I need to go climb that. Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty damn good, so... How are you feeling this year, Dan, physically? Feeling strong? Um, everything but my back, dude. I jacked up my back in the gym in the spring. Oh, um, and that's kind of been haunting me this entire year, and I agitated it last Monday. Um, aside from that, I feel great. Um, but it's, I mean, I'm working around it and working through it, but it's there, you know, and then who knows in a week it could be gone. Um, I've been, I went and saw this physical therapist and, um, you know, he was good and I felt good afterwards. And of course, like a dumbass, I got distracted and quit doing my take home, my homework, my, my take home exercises. <laughs> I never do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, it, and then the pain came back. So it's really my fault. But I have an appointment with him like the 18th or the 19th of October. So um, I'm going to take it seriously after that. Yeah, that's fair. 
That's totally fair. Well, and you're to, you've you've got a couple more hunts left in you. Yeah, but you already filled your your wife's tag, which she had a freaking nice tag. Yeah, that was it was a fantastic tag that she drew this year, and kind of my on my radar for hunting season was number one absolute priority is that tag and we won't mention the name of that unit (laughs) or everybody (laughs) in cody will kill me um so it was it was that that was the priority for this year and that happened on this she filled that tag the second day of a two-month season which allowed kind of blew the doors open for what i can do on my own time for this for this season and that's not why she killed the bull on day clarification two. Yeah, clarification she killed the bull on day two because it was a, a really good bull. bull yeah it I is think it's sick. so yeah so now i got you know we're gonna go do um a long llama weekend we're gonna take the llamas in for for a big hunt here later this week and then after that probably quit looking at elk and start looking at mule deer for the last two weeks um, I do not have tags in Montana this year, so my November is pretty clear compared to most years. Um, so, yeah, no, hunting season's been good so far, um, and we'll see what the rest of the season brings. But I love that when uh, you got that, when she got that elk down, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh, that I'm going to call Aaron, great. and your wife said, what? What was it? She, I'm flipping through my phone because she, she, she shot it late in the evening. And we knew it was going to be a really long night if we didn't have some help packing this bull out. And it was a long night anyway, and we did have help. We got home at 6 a.m. But anyway, shortly after she kills this bull, she's like, oh, man, we got our work cut out for us. And I'm like, yeah, we do. And I'm like, who can I call? And I was like, I'm going to call Aaron. She goes, you will not call Aaron Mulkey. (laughs) (laughs) I said, why? She goes, I know exactly what he's going to say. And I said, what's that? And she goes, he's going to tell you that if you can't get it out on your own, you shouldn't have shot it there. <laughs> That's harsh. I definitely it's would not so have said true, that. It's so true, though. I would have been, would so have been stoked. I mean, I may have given her shit later on, but I would have been stoked to go help out. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would have been cool, but um, but we got it out. It was it was a big night. Like I said, I got home at 6 o'clock in the morning, completely spent. Well, his jerky's fantastic. Though. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you like it. It's yeah, a so little, little spicy, but not it's bad. Good. I like it. Yeah, it's not too spicy, is it? No, I, I don't think it's super spicy at all. No, What'd you make the jerky out of? Um, you want to know the honest truth? Yeah. So because I knew that this tag, this tag was such a priority that I flew my mom out to dog sit for the entire first week of the season. So my mom was here cooking for us, taking care of the dogs, just so that we could just hunt and nothing but hunt. And so she was cooking and she's like, oh, I'm going to whip up some brine for, let's make some jerky. And then she went to Baumgars or wherever and bought a dehydrator. Um, <laughs> and then she, so it's, it's my mom's jerky. It's not my jerky. I mean, oh, she was, is it, what is it? Is it elk, your elk? Oh yeah. hundred oh, percent. Okay. It's Vanessa's elk. Okay. Um, but I, I thought you meant like, what are the ingredients? Oh, um, you can't, okay. So you I, I don't, shouldn't give you any credit for how good it tastes. Like. No, I didn't shoot the bowl and I didn't make the brine. All right. So. Yeah. Still tasty. Yeah. Still tasty. It's good. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would definitely like to, I mean, we talked this today too, like try to get out and do a few days of elk. Um, I think mine just kind of depends on the, what the ice kind of does, but I would like to do some deer too. Yeah. This let, could be the season with the weather we're having. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it all reports, if you're, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, it has been a very good year for horn growth. Um, 
you know, Southern Wyoming had that kill off the winter kill, and we saw the evidence of that when we were running to Utah. Oh, back. Terrible. Yeah, it was bad. Hundreds. Yeah, I mean, just to speak to that, I mean, I, I people, you know, probably listen from all over the place, but the Utah and I guess we'll call it the southern part of Wyoming had such a massive snowfall that the two times that we were going down there early when there was still snow on I eighty was that was hard to see. I mean, I I, I think. From turning on at what Rock Springs, a little after Rock Springs, all the way to I guess Park took City. it into Park City. I mean, Basically, hundreds of deer, elk, antelope. Yeah, that it was sick. It's at some points it was like there were more antelope than there were mile markers. Yeah, absolutely. It was sad. Um, so as far as this being the year, that part of Wyoming certainly had its teeth kicked in by the winter kill. But the animals that are out there, it's at least from what I've seen and heard. Uh, it's a pretty good year for horn growth because there was so much feed in the mountains during that period of time where those animals are adding mass to antlers. Huh. That's good to know. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, yeah, it could be the season to, if your ice isn't in yet, give the last two weeks of mule deer season a good hoorah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they and there was, it's surprising there hasn't been more people over this way because most of the tags and and Wyoming were pretty much eliminated. Mm-hmm. Due to the and a lot kill. of people who got those tags forfeited them. You know, just out of from a conservation standpoint, they're like, "Yeah, I paid for the money for the tag, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna burn it." Yeah, I'm gonna burn the tag, which is yeah. pretty cool to see. You yeah, know? It's still pretty cool to see. Yeah, well, I think if uh, I'm sure those are the people that were down there and could see the devastation that happened, because if you see that, you're just like, "It's bad." I mean, it's gonna take years and years for it to come back from that. So. Yeah, and and a lot of your listeners may not know, but the mule deer in in the western states um, have had a really hard go of it um, over the past. 15 to 20 years and it's gotten worse and worse and some of that cwd some of it in places um there were too many tags assigned it's been winter kill it's been any number of things that the mule deer population across the the rockies just isn't where conservation-minded hunters would like to see it um so i think it's also a good year to be picky on mule deer you know Um, true well i also think for since we're just we are talking about hunting and a lot of people don't know about it and hopefully people are offended but i think if you're if you are offended maybe just listen to kind of hear the other side uh, but i think that a lot of people don't know too that there's like we talked about the limited tags in southern wyoming because of the die out but i don't think a lot of people know that there's a certain amount of tags that are given in, in each part, portions of the state for whatever animal it might be antelope elk deer and I don't know how many areas, like for elk, how many, I'm trying to think how many areas there are in Wyoming. Like, a, I would, I would think it's north of a hundred. I, I was thinking, right, let's, we'll call it a hundred. So I think for somebody that's listening, doesn't know about, there's a hundred areas in Wyoming and each of those areas have a certain amount of tags that are given, uh, through a draw system. So you, if, if a thousand people put in for that t- tag and there's only five tags to come out your you know your chances of drawing that are very limited but all of those numbers are put together through through the game of fish so it's not like i think a lot of people i know that i've met at different places they just think that you just go buy an over-the-counter tag and there are places where you can literally buy an over-the-counter tag wyoming is not one of those Um, if you're a resident you can get a general tag 
Um, but there's not a ton of general tags for even, and there's not, well, general units and we're a lot less people in Wyoming, but like there are places, there are States where, yeah, you can buy one over the counter. And Colorado, you still Colorado can, right? still over the counter elk and in certain places. Yeah. Right? And Arizona. there's, yeah. Yeah. So every state has some over the counter, not every one. I wonder how actually how many States don't have over the counter. Well, I mean, so Montana has what they call their general big game combo. Put in for. And it used to be a guaranteed draw. So you had to apply for it, but it was it was like 100% draw. Yeah. In the past five years, especially after Idaho changed some of their regulations, now you need to build points, preference points, in order to draw anything in Montana. Um, again, as you already mentioned, Wyoming doesn't have anything over the counter. And basically how the game and fish departments arrive at these numbers and these tag allocations and everything, they have biologists on staff who are doing population surveys and health surveys, and, and they're managing the herds as best as they can. Um, Wyoming's a, one of the more complicated systems simply because we have migratory populations. A lot of states, you know, um, and there's, and that's not to say that elk don't migrate in Montana or in Colorado. Um, there's some, they certainly do, but there's, there's some, some states, the Southern states, especially, um, where there's very, very little migration here, uh, or there. But I mean, our mule deer, for example, some of our mule deer will move out of the high country and end up in the desert for the winter. They'll go 130 miles. Um, so it's a little more complicated in Wyoming than it is in a lot of other states, yeah. but no, to dispel the myth that, you know, hunters can just go out and shoot whatever they want, whenever they want, however many they want. That's not the case at all. Yeah. Um, you apply for tags, you draw tags. And then, you know, I mean, if you're a conservation minded hunter, which I think we all should be, not everybody is, but I think that that's growing more and more every year. Um, you know, what you harvest or do not harvest. Um, some of that has to do with whether or not you're given an opportunity because it's not a guaranteed thing, right? Like, yeah. I haven't killed a bull elk in um, two years. And some of that's due to time, you know, the time I have to spend. Um, or, you know, some people, especially with mule deer too, um, mule deer hunters especially, they'll, you know, okay, well, I don't want to shoot doe. Even though it's legal, I don't want to shoot doe um, because the mule deer population is hurting. Or, no, you know what, that buck's young, I'm going to let him walk. That's a personal decision. You know, um, I think it's called humanizing when you humanize animals, um, we project these these human characters towards an animal that we believe that it's better or worse. It's worse to harvest young animals. Um, you know, maybe there is some truth to that, but like, you know, prey, uh, mule deer prey for large carnivores. A bear, a lion, a wolf doesn't give a crap how old an animal is. He's going <laughs> to kill whatever he has an opportunity to kill. Yeah. But as hunters... And for the sake of conservation, we have to decide. And, then, and there's necess as long as it's legal, as long as what you're doing is legal, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with whatever somebody decides to harvest or not harvest. You want to shoot a young buck? That's that's your decision. If it's legal, it's legal. So yeah, there's a lot of argument among, among hunters about what you should and shouldn't be killing. But at the end of the day, if it's legal, it's 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 a personal decision. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a tough. I mean, it's. I won't say it's controversial because I think it's pretty spread, you know? Uh, I don't know that there's, there's definitely not like two buckets of those people. That's kind of ever, there's a lot of, a lot of in between, a lot of gray area with all that. Um, but, and I think just even where people know, I mean, the success rates in a lot in hunting in general is really low too. So, you know, Probably also because you get a lot of people just buy a tag and they go out and hunt one day and then they don't get anything and that's it. So Get a half mile from their truck. Yeah. Call it good. Yeah. 
That's so, that's most hunters that in reality. Yeah. yeah, you know that is most. It's probably seventy five percent hunters right there. Will hunt two days and they won't do it for more than you know half a mile from the pickup truck. Yeah, yep. And I think that most hunters these days too. Well, I won't say most. I think a lot of hunters these days that are going back are really no different than than climbers. I mean, they just want to get out. They want to get outside, get get in remote places, and and see new stuff. And yeah, if you get to you know if you get to harvest something, then you get to harvest something. But otherwise, like it's not you know. That's not the end of the world. Like the, the the goal is to just get out and get into these places, and it is very. I think it's very different when you go on hunting. Like I feel, I feel some ways more connected because you're you're so much quieter and you're a lot more sitting and listening and just watching your surroundings that you feel a little bit more connected to your environment. So, yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that um, the best hunters are the ones that really, really understand the population that they're hunting. What does this animal need to sustain its life at this time of year? Because where an elk or a deer is existing in September during bow season is 180 degrees different than where they are in late season November in Montana. So you need to know, like, what's the food source at this time of the year? What kind of cover are they looking for? Where, How far do they have to go for water? That kind of thing. Um, But you're 100% right in that the hunters that are packing back in, that are camping, and not always necessarily camping. That's, you know, that's part of it but but these hunters that are going back in are 99 percent of them are out there for that reason they want to be out there they want yeah. their cell phone shut off they don't want to have emails they just want to disconnect from society for a week mm-hmm. yeah i think it's a good point because it like everybody has a different level to get out there right like there's ice climbers that want to go to your and they want to you know wake up in the hotel drink some coffee and walk and climb a couple of pitches and come back and i can't blame them it's kind of nice and I think hunters is the same way. Some guys just want to go out. And women want to go out and hunt, and they want to camp in their fifth wheel or trailer, and maybe walk a half mile from camp and sit around. And that's totally. And I think if it's fulfilling, then it's fulfilling. That's good. I mean, as long as everybody's getting out for the right reasons, that's all that freaking matters. Yeah, and I think watching that evolve in stages of life. You know, as a hunter, as a hunter in your twenties, you've got energy and you've got time, just like you do as a climber in your twenties, right? You got yeah. time and you got energy. And then you reach a point in life where now you have commitments, you're married, you have a mortgage, you have a child. And then as you <laughs> as you enter later in life, you physically can't send it 10 miles into the backcountry and go kill 700-pound elk yeah. and pack it out. Yeah. So yeah. so whether hunting for you is like you're saying, you can be the Ure guy who wakes up with a cup of coffee and goes and climbs at Ure and then gets back in the hot tub at the end of the day. Or you're the guy, you're the Aaron Mulkey and you're going exploratory stuff back in the South Fork. That's... That's the cool thing about hunting. Like if you want to do it with your whole family and have a big raucous camp back at the campers at the end of the day and have a big meal, cool. If that's what makes you happy, then do it. And then the next guy is like, he's like, I want to go solo with a stick bow and maybe a tent or just a bivy sack. And I want to disappear for two weeks. Like you have that whole adventure spectrum of yeah. like, how yeah. hard do I want to go? And, and and again, there's no wrong answer. Yeah. Do whatever you do, whatever fulfills yeah. you. And we do have one of those friends that's a stick bow guy. Actually, he got it. He got, he was, I don't know, he was like at the end or middle of a week long trip that he was in the backcountry and like some guys on horseback gave him crap. He was like, almost got in a fight in the backcountry. You're talking about Keeler, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Send me a really funny Instagram message and he and I were chatting and he's like, he almost got into a scrap because some guys were saying that, you know, you couldn't pack out an elk by yourself and he took offense. He would. 
Oh yeah, he would. <laughs> Keeler would. Not many guys that would, but Keeler would. Keeler did. Yeah, like, hands down, those guys did yeah. not know who they were talking. No, to. they he's don't have a freaking clue. He's a freaking animal. Yeah, he's yeah. hilarious. Like he's he would hilarious. eat a quarter if he had to <laughs> before he headed out. Like he would just stay back there and eat a quarter and just not to cook it. Drop some weight. Yeah, yeah. He might even go raw. Yeah, dude. If I know that dude, he would have had a grizzly bear like tamed and doing <laughs> tricks for elk meat. Like, yeah. didn't he get his tent torn into? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pillow yeah. chewed on this year. Yeah, tent yeah. Him up. and Natalie. He took Natalie out because uh, she's really interested in learning how to hunt. And uh, yeah, apparently, I think they saw like twelve bears, and then they were watching these bears, and then literally, they didn't know it, but one of the bears came up to their tent. And yeah, like big rip through it and then grabbed Justin's sleeping bag and it's got like some bite marks in it. Yeah. It looked like he was just literally grabbing stuff to see if it tasted like something and then Mm -hmm. it didn't. So then he took off. Yeah. Hunting in this particular part of the country is turned up a couple notches. It's full value. Yeah. With like me personally, I'll never go hunting solo with unless it's like pronghorn in the desert. I'd go solo then. But in the mountains, no way. Like it's just. I think it just for me I, that doesn't element. work for me. It, I mean, I, it changes the element. For yeah, sure. like yeah. it makes you feel a little more alive for sure. Which oh, I'm yeah. sure exactly why Justin's constantly going out there because it probably makes him feel more alive than anything. Yeah, um, he goes maybe further back than I would. Like I don't mind going by myself, but he likes to really get back in there. Yeah. That would be a little. Yeah. That would be hard for me. I could do it, but I think I'd have to push myself well out of my comfort zone in order to accomplish that. So, but I don't know. I think I, the Grizzlies definitely changed changed stuff up, but I think. Definitely, as we're coming into you know early season ice climbing, people definitely need to be aware of that too, because the South Fork is basically like the heart of grizzly country, and uh, I won't say North America, but continental U.S. for sure. Yeah, we're yeah the, no doubt. We're yeah. the largest concentration of grizzly bears in the lower forty-eight. Yeah, and yeah. absolutely. Most of those are living in the the drainages that come into the South Fork. Yep. <laughs> and the numbers that you hear reported about the number of grizzly bears that are out there are not accurate. When I think they're under. Oh, yeah. When I sit at one glassing point, so this happened last year. My wife and I decided, hey, we're going to go out for just a morning hunt. We're going to sit from like sun up till 10 o'clock, bail, and get back to the office. Cool. So we do. So we hike two and a half miles off the road, sit down at this glassing point that we like looking for mule deer. Seven grizzly bears from one position. And you said Keeler was watching 12. So, you know, whatever their reported number is, is there's 800 bears in the GYE. That's laughable. Yeah, there's no um, way. There's plenty of bears, and it does change the element. It's badass to see them. Oh, it's, yeah. They're super cool animals, but you have to be cognizant when you're here, and it doesn't matter if you're hunting or you're climbing. Um, you have to be cognizant of what you're doing with your food, um, what you're doing with meat if you're hunting. Where's the wind? I yeah. mean, everything. Just be aware. Yeah. Don't take it lightly. If you're coming to climb ice in the South Fork in the early season, have your bear spray and make plenty of noise. And yeah. 99.9% chance you will be just fine. Yep. Just don't be stupid. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think it was the year Mean Street came in. It was early. It was like, it was October, we were climbing, late, late October, we were climbing Mean Street. And uh, Justin was carrying his uh, gun on his chest. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was a fairly large gun caliber. Um, and we ran into some people from like, I think they're from the East Coast or something. And, you know, <laughs> Justin, our buddy, is, I mean, he's a mountain man, you know, I mean, he, he looks like a mountain man, too, like, he, he belongs in the mountains, and uh, they rolled up on us, and, you know, they were, like, kind of shocked, they they ran into somebody up there, I was actually shocked that they were up there, because they're out of, from out of town, they usually don't see out of town people that early, but, um, and they were like, what, what, like, very judgmental, like, what, 
what are you carrying a gun for? And that day as we hiked in, we kicked up a sow and, and a cub going through the timber at about, you know, 50 yards or whatever it was. And, uh, and she, we're like, well, there's, there's grizzlies up here. Like you, if you, I'm sure you've crossed the tracks because they were all over the bench because the snow had come in and the deer. And I think it, it was early, it, deer elk was open, but there was carcass. It was really good hunting in the South Fork because that snow had pushed everything down. So there, all those grizzlies were just going to town. And, uh, oh man, she was like, what are you doing with that gun? And he's like, well, have you seen the grizzlies? <laughs> she's like, no, I didn't know there were grizzlies here. And he's like, well, we, just crossed a track about 10 minutes ago and we kicked one up this morning and the the soon as she kind of like heard that like the demeanor the car everything just changed and she's like well her and her, her husband were like he's like well do you mind if we just hike out with you <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh that's God, it's not so ugly now not is so it ugly, <laughs> is it yeah now you want to follow us out so look the last thing anybody anybody wants to do hunter climber doesn't matter who you are the last thing you want to do is have to shoot at a grizzly bear. No. It's yeah, no. not why... You, no. We're not running around last, the woods. Last resort. Right? It's absolute yeah. last resort. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if I'm getting chewed on, literally getting chewed on, I'm shooting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to have uh, a buddy of mine uh, from a TT that was attacked by a grizzly in the thoroughfare. I want to try to get him on the show and talk about his Ooh, experience. That'd be cool. Yeah, because he got, he got thrown, and then he got air flighted out of the thoroughfare. Uh after getting attacked, I think he, I think he ended up with like forty something stitches through the thigh, like, and he had a gun on him, mm-hmm. but never, never had the chance to draw it. But yeah, she plucked him out of a tree as he was running. It's a pretty good story. So I got to get him on. Be good stuff be good. right there. Oh yeah, yeah. So I got two charge stories. I got charged in Alaska in two thousand seventeen, and I shot the bear. And then the other one was a buddy of mine who didn't have a gun. He was along with another hunter. He didn't have a gun. His story's spicier than mine. He had he had a just an absolute huge boar charge him. And I, it's, it's kind of a bluff charge situation. This bear came running up the hill at him. He wouldn't have had time to draw a pistol even if he had one. And this bear hit him. Basically hit him like a bowling ball. Oh my god! Knocked him over, and the bear just kept going, just poof, gone. The bear ran through him and kept going. And you know, I was talking to him because we this happened. We were about four drainages, five drainages apart from each other, and we both had these interactions on the same trip. We weren't hunting together, but we were flying in and out together. And I was asking him about it, and he's like, "Dude, don't don't tell anybody this." <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, dude, whatever. I'm sure." And he's like, "I legitimately." pissed myself he's like no no and and i I did exactly that i laughed at him and he's like no dan i'm seriously like i lost control of my bladder and i'm like dude uh, no judgment no judgment there because you got run the hell over you know holy crap well it's what was it uh it wasn't steve renella no steve renella was on the hunt who was it that was telling? I, I heard that you you had to have heard the story. The mediator one? Yeah, the mediator one. Yeah, that was a wild story. Yeah. I don't remember all the intricacies of it, but it was. But they put down an elk and they come back that night and there was a, the whole film crew was there and everything. And correct me if, if I go off track here, but basically they're all sitting around eating lunch. And the, I think they had started to maybe uh, quarter out this elk. To get it out and the film crews there. So I think there was like what seven, eight people, I think if I remember right. There was it sounded like a group. I might be totally screwing up the story, but um all of a sudden 
a bear. Have you heard this story? Mm-mm. All of a sudden, this bear comes in while they're all eating lunch. And just, if I remember right, the bear kind of like was startled by all of them. And so it just takes off and starts charging through the group of people. And one of the guys gets is literally that bear hits him. He rolls onto the back of the grizzly and rides the back of the grizzly for like freaking twenty yards, right? Screw that, like it's dude. like just stuck like it's on just him. running. He's like stuck on the back of this grizzly oh as it's gosh. going through this group of people, and finally pops off. And everybody was like, "Holy crap!" But <laughs> like there were so many people, but that grizzly just took off and went right through him and took this guy out. And guy rode the back of this freaking grizzly for like twenty yards. Jeez, I can't. I remember what if I can remember what episode it was. They I talked about. I want to go listen to it again because yeah, I remember. He was crazy. About it. Yeah, it's good. You yeah. know what that reminds me of, and, and and I think that we should get back to talking about ice here in a second and get off the hunting topic. But um, that does remind me. Usually here in Cody, um, hunters have hunters or shed hunters, shed horn hunters have one to two altercations with like serious uh, altercations with grizzly bears every year. Just the nature of the beast. Um, but there were some kids, and you guys have no doubt heard this story. There were some kids oh, that were yeah. shed hunting. They were somewhere down near uh, Bobcat Houlihan or Ishwa or something. College kids from Powell, I think. It was a wrestling team was out here all together, and they were just walking around looking for shed antlers. Uh, you know, elk and deer drop their sheds every year, so people go out and try to find them because it's fun to pick them up. And they stumbled into a bear, and the one kid, I, I, I don't remember the details, but the one kid was getting actively chewed on, and his buddy on his wrestling team, this kid legitimately jumps on the grizzly bear. Yeah. And they both got chewed on a little bit. The one kid got it worse, but, I mean, if it wasn't for his buddy oh, having yeah. a giant set of brass balls, that kid could be dead. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Landon and I were across the valley hunting that night oh, or that really? evening, and we were glassing, and we just see the lights come come flying down the valley, and then pretty soon we see a chopper coming in, and yeah, sure enough, they were getting plucked out, and they were in rough shape. Yeah. It was bad. What if they're still going to school in Pal? I'll have to find out. It'd yeah. It'd be cool to have them on. That chat, would be chat, cool. Chat to them. Yeah, they, they'd probably yeah. do it. I remember years ago, I was by myself soloing uh, Stringer. And it was late in the season, you know, kind of early spring. And if anybody's climbed Stringer, kind of the last part of that, I wouldn't call it a slot canyon, but it's a pretty tight canyon before you get to the actual ice climb. And I was up there by myself, uh, and so I was wrapping off. And I remember coming off that last rappel, looking down at my pack, and there was just crap all over the place. I was like, dude, what? Like, why would somebody do that? I get down to the ground, and I realize, looking at the prints, freaking grizzly print. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, crap. You know, and I'm like... I didn't have bear spray. I didn't have a gun. I didn't have anything on me. And it looked really fresh. And I remember gathered all my crap, put it back in my backpack, and he'd eaten like my freaking cliff bar. <laughs> and I had some beef jerky in there. So I cleaned up the scraps of the plastic bag and stuff and stuffed everything in there and started hiking out. I remember I had both tools in my hand, man. Like, and walking out of that canyon, I was like, I had, I had everything in my mind, like how I was going to take out this grizzly bear with my ice axes, you know? And I was like, all right, you just got to wait till the last minute. And you got to swing <laughs> that axe as hard as you can right before he's about to hit you and you go right for the neck, you know? And I'm there's no way in the world it ever would have done anything. You, it would have just pissed him off if or you, her. You don't, here's the thing. Without a firearm, you don't have, and people don't understand this, 
you don't have a snowball's chance in hell. I don't give a shit who you are. You could be the biggest strongman in the world. You could be Mike Tyson. Doesn't matter. If a grizzly bear wants to kill you, a grizzly bear is going to kill you if yeah. you don't have a firearm. But short of a firearm, if you had a creeping chance to defend yourself from a grizzly bear with any handheld weapon, an ice tool is about as good as you're going to do. Pretty, that's yeah. pretty decent. I mean, yeah. yeah. I make a hell of a story of oh that happened, though. Oh, my Can you God. imagine? You I get, waited to the last minute. I mean, oh you're getting free beer at every bar, and you oh, know, yeah. forever. If, if you kill, if you kill a grizzly bear in Wyoming, you're under federal investigation because yep. they're federally protected. Yeah. Now, everybody that kills a grizzly bear is under federal investigation in in, in the lower 48, right? But I have to think <laughs> that if <laughs> you sur- if you survived a grizzly bear attack and you killed that bear. With a strike through the skull with an ice tool, I think that case would be pretty open and yeah. shut. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, that's danger close, buddy. Oh yeah, you're like, listen, there it is. It's only got the ice axe in it. What, what else do you want to know? Like, you know, that's that's. Oh my god. Open and just, shut, man. Oh my god. Well, so I, I, as I was hiking out of that thing, I had all thought in my head. You know, definitely was going to wait till the last minute. And I think I thought about at one point I was contemplating throwing one first that maybe it hit him in the head the right way and then save the other one to go full power into the neck or the head or something um thank god i never had to actually act on any of it uh but so i got out to the end of the bench and people climbed to the south fork i got out of this canyon so hiked about 20 minutes it was a pretty intense 20 minutes because he literally had followed right up the ice because if you've been up stringer it's just like ice flow all the way out it's like a big walking path of ice with snow on it and he just followed my steps. He was right on my steps in, and he was right on my steps out. And uh, got out to the bench where it kind of opened up, got up out of the drainage. He had right, still on my tracks. And then, boom, he had cut off my tracks to the left right when he kind of got to the bench where it opened up. And sure enough, dude, that guy was about 200 yards down the freaking bench of the South Fork. So I had, I figured I was probably 15 minutes behind him. Yep. Man. You know. That's close enough. And for people to oh. think that we're sitting here laughing about talking about killing grizzly bears with ice axes, no. as if it's funny. Like, no, I mean, it, it, it's funny to joke about it simply because that would be such a pathetic thing. But, you know, until you see what these animals are capable of, until you see them drag a full-grown bison uphill and realize that 95% of the time they're peaceful, yeah, but mm-hmm. the 5% is so devastatingly terrorizing... <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah. You, like, there's there's a dude that lives in Clark that hasn't come out of his house since he got attacked by a grizzly bear up there 20 years ago because he doesn't have a face. Oh, yeah. oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, like yeah. it doesn't. And those are the guys that survived. There were two people killed down south of Jackson. What five years ago? Yep. It, yeah. Like it's rough. It, yeah, it's not likely to happen. But if it were to happen, it's there's know. a few people live to live to talk about it and. Uh, yeah, I would. Lo- I, I definitely would love to get a couple because I think there's some pretty crazy stories that are out there with grizzlies. Oh yeah, I know another guy in town here too. I just thought about that was almost attacked by two. He was attacked by one almost a second on the way out to the hospital. Yeah, that would be good too. Well, that sh- that sheep hunter that I helped earlier this year, Sam. Oh yeah, the one that called me like as he was up there on top of that mountain. Um, he was kind of talking with another dude that had a sheep tag this year. And I don't know if I told you this guy or not this told you guys this yet or not, but there's an outfitter around here. I'm not gonna mention his name, 
um, just cause I don't know if he'd want me to, but he had a pack string up there. He was also hunting sheep for himself. He had the tag. He did not have clients. He was by himself and he had a whole string of horses. Um, and his horses are mountain stock. Like he's an outfitter. These horses get run in the mountains every year and he's riding up that trail. And I know right about where he was and his horses have seen bears, right? Um, but he runs into, and for, for whatever, for what reason, I don't know, maybe there was a dead elk or something, but and this was before elk season. Um, he ran into a group of eight grizzly bears, Oh yeah. eight of them in a wad, like they were what? freaking coyotes or something. It blew his horses up into a giant wreck. He fell off, busted up his back, can't, can't hunt this year, turned his sheep tag back into the state because, because of the injury. And, and this was when he was scouting. This was before season opened. Crazy. Just boom. A wad yeah. of grizzly bears. A wad. Like, when do you hear about, sure, a, a sow with three cubs. Yeah. It's terrible. Okay. But not. Not a wad of mature grizzly bears. No. <laughs> that's like Frank's no Peak. That dude from New York got mauled last year. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you go up Frank's Peak in the middle of summer, you're going to see two dozen of them. Yeah. Moth season, they're just oh, ripping yeah. those hillsides yeah. apart. Yeah, so you know, you, you don't go to Frank's in July. No. No, <laughs> no it's just not smart. No. Yeah. yeah, there's some good stories for sure. Yeah. Well, for those that are tuning in to let's talk about some ice climbing, we apologize, but we had some good conversation here. A uh, little fun Wyoming conversation. Uh, yeah, Steve Rinella ever wants to come on and tell some stories, he's welcome to come on. I'm sure he doesn't listen to the Cold Fear podcast, but we'll take him ice climbing. We'll take him ice climbing. Oh, that would be cool. It would be cool. Yeah. 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 Took the crew ice climbing. And we've got some ideas for some stuff like that too. So, but, uh, well, thanks for everybody tuning in. And, uh, hopefully, uh, with this current weather system coming in, it looks like the warmth of, uh, summer is gone and we got cold and some snow settling in now for a little bit. Uh, I think it warms up to maybe 50s, I think, a little bit, maybe 50s, 60s. But I think we're settled into it. I'm, I'm, I think I said a week ago I'd climb ice in 14 days. I've got seven more days. I think I'll probably be within that window. So let's make it happen. Hopefully next time we're sitting down at this table, we've already climbed some ice. Cool. Yep. Thank right. you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.